It's uh, great to be with you all. Um, quick intro, gosh. Um, uh, I'm looking at the names on the screen. I, I know quite a few of you. Um, I've been around in, in uh, the church since 1999. Uh, lived in London 2003 and again 2008 until now. Um, I'm married, two kids, two young boys, um, four and seven. Uh, I work as a psychotherapist and a, a clinical supervisor in the NHS in private. Um, I'm a university lecturer on in psychology. Um, and I think that's probably all that's relevant to this, to today's class, but we, we are talking about looking at resilience um, and, and mental health. Um, at the core of this, I think, um, is probably the recognition that we are beings who are able to feel things, able to feel emotion. And as, you know, as um, elementary as that may sound, I think this is often, often a reason for people to, to not be doing so, so well emotionally is, is maybe not always recognizing that this is okay, that we, that we feel things, that we've in a way been, been created in this way. Um, I may lose probably half of you now, but I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan. Um, and there's, uh, there's a character in Star Trek, Lieutenant Commander Data. I'm not going to ask you knows who he is. Actually, I'm going to show you a picture of Lieutenant Commander Data. Hang on. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, one of my favorite characters. I dressed up as him when I went to a Star Trek convention the other day. I won't show you that picture. I will show you this one. Though. There we go, Lieutenant Commander Data. Um, this, this poor guy, he's an he's a android, artificial intelligence. Um, he is forever striving to feel in the way that his, that his human colleagues are able to feel. Um, this is often set, if you look at the, the episodes and the, the, the movies around this, it's often set in, in contrast with his, his, his desire to want to feel with his human colleagues who are often resisting their feelings. Um, there's a whole kind of philosophy around that. And uh, Data gets, gets a bit closer to this from time to time uh, with the use of emotion chips and that sort of thing, never quite, quite gets there. But what I really appreciate about, about this, this character is just his, his desire to want to feel, his desire to want to experience the things that, that we so often try to avoid feeling. I'm going to stop there. And I think this, this does make me kind of consider, maybe for us, all of us to consider, how often do you wish that you did not feel something? You know, I'm sure all of us at some points, you know, felt something so strongly that we wish we didn't feel it, you know. In the world today, this is indeed quite common. Um, the abuse of things like alcohol and drugs and even other unhealthy habits like obesity or promiscuity. These things, these things can often, not always, but often they can be linked to feelings that a person is trying to avoid. It is quite shocking that in the last 18 months or so, um, the, the British Liver Trust has, uh, has um, published a paper where they say that the, the inquiries to this service has increased 500% uh, 
in the last 18 months. The deaths related to alcohol misuse is at its highest level since records began. I think this just indicates to us that people are suffering at the moment, people in the world, um, and I'm sure many of us have been going through, through difficult times. We are not immune to this. Um, our emotions have a massive effect on our quality of life. You know, that, that can't be denied. And I've certainly, over the last 18 months, um, felt very overwhelmed about, you know, various things, not only related to, you know, pandemics and lockdown and that sort of thing, but, um, you know, all of us have our unique worries and concerns. Um, our emotions are with us all the time, you know, every minute of the day, whether we are acknowledging them or seeing them or noticing them or not, they are, they are always there, but this is who we are. And I also want to say this is how God made us. And to say that, to say that here, that, you know, God created us, this, this can be, a, of course, a controversial comments in today's society. This is not a class on um, God and evolution. You know, that's, that's, for, a, that's for, a, for another day, for another discussion. Um, but I do want to briefly say something about this. You know, everything that I, that I learn about the way that the mind and the body works, you know, everything I'm learning about biology and neuroscience, all of this only strengthens my my belief and my view that we were that there's a creator involved in our development there's just you know the the if we consider the millions the billions of variables involved in us being thinking feeling sentient beings you know it is simply completely implausible that we evolved by random chance now i accept that this is a a controversial statements, and there are surely many who will disagree with me on this. Um, but as I say, that's a topic for, for another time. I'm not disputing evolution. Um, I'm just saying that I cannot believe that evolution occurred by random chance, looking at the impossible convergence of, of so many factors. Um, there had to be a creator involved. But back to our emotions. Um, what are we supposed to do with all of this? What are we supposed to do with the fact that we are feeling individuals? And often the, where these feelings can often have a negative impact on our well-being and the way that we feel and the way that we act um, and the way that we, that we are in the world. Now, I wish there was a magic answer to this. Of course, there isn't. Um, but I do hope that as we, as we look at... Um, you know, something from the scriptures today uh, that we can get a bit of a glimpse about what we what we could do with this and maybe what, what the purpose of it all is. And I also want to uh, briefly later on just touch on a few research theories of personality that I hope will be, will be helpful to us. Uh, but looking at the scriptures, I want us to look today at, um, at a psalm, uh, Psalm 3. Um, I'll put that on the screen a bit later. But the Psalms in general, um, they are great to help us deal with our emotions. Uh, one of the things I think that they can teach us is how to properly process our emotions and to not deny them. Uh, Psalm 3 is a great example of this. You know, something that, that we can sometimes hear, and I think often in in Christian circles, uh, this, this happens. 
Uh, we can say this explicitly or implicitly sometimes. You know, we can, we can say that to look at whatever situation we face, and there can be this desire to turn that, you know, whatever we feel into joy or faithfulness. You know, no matter what the situation is, there might be a tendency to say, uh, hey, you just, you just have to have faith. You know, you just have to be joyful. Um, almost as if that statement, just have faith, is somehow the mark of a good Christian or something. You know, but as we read many of the Psalms, we find something, something quite different. You know, the Psalms teach us to be realistic about our frustrations and our fears and our sin and our disappointments and our anger, you know, as well as our hope and our joy. Um, they teach us to, to take things to God and not to deny our emotions. Um, in fact, to not say things like, um, uh, it, is, it is wrong to feel this emotion, or if only if I had more faith, uh, I would not feel like this. If, if only I prayed with more faith, God will look at me with favor and take away this pain, or it's because of my own weakness that I can't overcome this. Um, no, this is not, I, I don't believe this is what God wants for us. You know, God created us with these emotions. Um, he will certainly not, after creating us like this, then disapprove of us having emotions. Um, and we know, of course, the Bible also teaches that, you know, in our anger, do not sin. And that's something we can look at. But that doesn't remove us from the feeling, in this case, of, of anger, for example. The feeling is still there. That's, that's undeniable. And although, you know, we can look forward to, you know, this direction of feeling love and joy and peace, you know, those, those fruits of the spirit that we read about, that is probably the direction we want to go in. Um, but it doesn't mean we will not feel disappointment, discouragement, sadness and pain along the way. You know, if we, if we are telling ourselves, um, I should not be feeling this, and we deny the feelings of fear and dread, whatever it might be, you know, that is not going to be helpful in the long run. I don't believe we can just skip over feelings that we don't like or don't want and force ourselves to be joyful. Um, that may work momentarily, I suppose. You know, momentarily we can, we can get ourselves into a happy state, but it's not going to be useful in the long run. Um, but looking at Psalm 3, uh, it's a psalm of David. You know, it was written, he wrote it when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom, who was trying to kill him. Uh, you can read the whole account of this in 2 Samuel 15. Uh, so Absalom has formed a coup and, you know, David is fleeing from his own son who has taken away his kingdom and his rule and his status as king. And now Absalom and 12,000 soldiers are, they, they are chasing David down to, to kill him, right? This is undoubtedly a very tough thing for David to be dealing with emotionally. You know, his own son trying to kill him. Uh, I can only imagine the sense of pain and rejection, betrayal. He must be that's when these patterns, these demons begin to is anyone? Um, oh, I can hear something in the background there. Never mind. I was about to say that um, I've got I've got two boys, four and seven, and I can certainly feel at times that they are um, organizing a coup against me. 
they are most certainly often as violent as 12,000 soldiers, um, especially if they need to be doing something or I'm asking them to be doing something they're not supposed to. But, but still, it doesn't, doesn't compare to what David must have been feeling at this time. In Psalm 3, um, this is the third one. So there's obviously before the Psalm 1 and 2. Uh, in Psalm 1, we see uh, someone teaches us that we should focus our thinking on God's word. Uh, Psalm 2, that we need to acknowledge God as king. Um, and then very quickly, we get to Psalm 3, which shows us that uh, everything is not always going to go our way when we walk with God. Um, and I just want to briefly mention here, there are, there are in some, some Christian circles, this, this concept that this concept of uh, prosperity, in a sense, I suppose, that, you know, that God will somehow manipulate everything around us in order for things to go our way. You know, and that if we are not experiencing incredible either wealth or prosperity or something, that we are doing something wrong, we don't have enough faith or something is going on there, that is just blatantly not true. It's not accurate. It is a, it is a false teaching that's derived from selectively taking a few scriptures in the, in the Bible and forming a, a whole doctrine around that. You know, that is, there's a real danger in believing believing that you know it is if we believe that and we're going through hard times we may very well think to ourselves this is because i'm not good enough or because god doesn't care enough or you know because god is not miraculously fixing the situation that i'm that i'm going through um and it's just it's just not true you know we, we can also feel as i say that that we are lacking in our faith somehow because we're going through a bad time and that's again not not true that's not what the bible teaches that's not what we see here when we look at look at the psalms you know god's promises that he will be with us through the trial and temptation not that we won't face struggles um but back to psalm 3 um, what david is feeling in psalm 3 appears to be fear and anxiety we're going to read it in a minute um, and david has good reason to feel afraid you know given what's what's going on here um maybe just briefly to mention something about the difference between fear and anxiety which i think can be useful for us you know fear is often something immediate you know it's uh i'm in an airplane and the oxygen masks are coming down and the Flight attendants are looking very worried. You know, there's a real sense of fear that the plane is falling and I'm going to die. Or my child has just fallen over and there's blood gushing from his head and I'm fearful for his, for his well-being. Or, you know, something like that. An immediate sense of something happening, causing us fear. Where anxiety is often something less focused. You know, it can take many forms, but it often it's often described as an underlying feeling of dread, um, a worry about what might happen or what could happen. You know, often we cannot pinpoint what we are feeling anxious about. Um, if we think about it deeply, we might be able to, and that can be helpful. Um, but it can often be an overwhelming feeling of things are not going to be okay. You know, it can tap into how we think and feel about ourselves, our self-worth, who we think we are in the eyes of other people. Or in the eyes of God, um, and it can often lead to feelings of depression, where we might end up just feeling, you know, we don't care about anything anymore. You know, I can don't know if you guys can relate, but I've I've certainly felt this, you know, for for periods in my life, you know, where there's feelings of anxiety, 
has been overwhelming um, and difficult, difficult to, to deal with. Um, but uh, there is hope, and I suppose that's what we are here to talk about today, is what do we do with these things that often feel difficult and overwhelming. Um, let's read Psalm 3. I'm just going to share that with you. You can follow along if you have a Bible, if you want to do that. Psalm 3, there we go. Okay, I'm just going to read the first two verses. Um, where David is saying, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So this is how David starts, you know, and this can in a way serve as a model to us for how to pray to God, you know, as, as all of the Psalms are really, they give us the words, often the structure of how to talk to God. Uh, we see that right, that David brings, uh, he begins by identifying the source of his fear. You know, he says, how many are my foes? Which is certainly a legitimate question. And, and in, this, in this situation with, you know, at least 12,000 angry soldiers after him to kill him. Um, so many foes are chasing him and he is afraid in this moment. You know, he says, many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. Here he is concerned a little bit about what other people are thinking and saying. You know, what are people saying? Is God even with me? How could this have happened? Um, if God was with me, could this happen? Does God even care? Is it me? You know, has God removed his favor from me? Has God given up on me? You know, so he's questioning his identity and his value, his place in the world. Um, almost like if I'm not the king, um, if I'm not God's main man, then, then, then who am I? Which is, again, probably something that, you know, maybe not uh, completely relatable to us, thinking if I'm not king, who am I? But most certainly there can be times when we are thinking, who, who am I supposed to be? You know, what, what is my place in the world? I don't quite know what my purpose is, um, what my mission is, who am I supposed to be, what am I supposed to do? And this kind of anxiety can prey on our guilt and our shame quite often, you know. So for us, we can think, am I, uh, am I even parenting my children in the right way? You know, am I, if, if I'm a Christian and I want to, you know, present God to the world, am I doing that well enough? Um, uh, am I making a difference in the world? So just a general feeling, am I good enough? Um, I noticed... Uh, uh, John and Karen Louie doing their talk on good enough parenting in the other and one of the other tracks there today. Um, and he might speak more about that tomorrow, but uh, it's that kind of concept. Am I good enough? And when we don't feel good enough, that can often lead to a sense of overall anxiety. Um, and this is probably where David is, you know, in this moment, you know, he's full of fear, anxiety. Um, now he, he could in this moment say, Okay, it's all fine. God is good all of the time. You know, I'll go and sing a song of praise and gratitude and forget that I'm feeling this way and that will make it all go away. And that may work occasionally, you know, but I think that if we consistently want to skip over these, let's call them unwanted feelings, um, it will get very tiring. You know, we cannot always skip to the faith and the joy part without facing the difficulty. 
goes back a bit to what I said right in the beginning is what is the, you know, I was thinking about, you know, what really to, to, to touch on in terms of growing our resilience and our mental health. And one of the things that I've just seen over and over um, in, my, in my work as a, as a therapist and is this idea of just recognizing um, and acknowledging to ourselves and accepting that we are feeling these things and then perhaps going deeper to, to discover what they are. It is that recognition that can make the difference. But what does David do after this? You know, so in verse three there we see, um, he says, but you Lord are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. So, this is David's next step. You know, he reminds himself of who God is. He doesn't get down in himself for feeling the way he feels. He accepts how he feels. And then he also accepts who God is. And this is a pretty abrupt change from the previous two verses. You know? so, so we see David accepts his feelings of fear and dread, verse 1 and 2. He doesn't deny them. Um, and he then also chooses to focus on who God is. Um, he knows that although he's feeling the way he does, and although the situation is overwhelming, God needs to be the closest thing to his heart. Now, the fear isn't going away, but he appears to know that what he knows about God needs to be closer to his heart and mind than the fear about the situation he's in. And he says also here that God is his shield around him, which, you know, again, God is not teleporting him out of the situation. That is, it is not taking away the immediate danger, uh, but it says God is his shield, meaning that, that while he's in this difficulty, you know, there's even this, this dangerous, this massively overwhelming situation, um, God will be his comfort, his protector, his shield during this assault. And he also said that God is his glory. And this is an interesting word because the word glory describes a sense of significance. And it's about giving God the glory. Um, it's about recognizing that God is the most significant thing to us. Um, it is about status um, and significance. It's about the level of importance um, of, of where, we, where we place God. And David is recognizing that he no longer has anything that gives himself glory or significance. You know, his kingdom is gone, his family is gone, his status is gone. God is his only glory, his only significance. And here we can think a little bit about where do we sometimes um, place our, uh, find our significance? You know, where do we look for significance in our lives? Um, and this is most certainly, you know, I know we are talking here from a, from a spiritual perspective, speaking from a perspective of placing our faith in God, but even, even beyond that, um, the concept of where we place our, our security is an important concept because everything, it is important to know that everything in our, in our lives is, is fleeting, you know, the, Things about wealth and family and health and all these things are absolutely fleeting. You know, we can certainly speak to any any person on his on his deathbed, and he will he will 
kind of attest to this that you know nothing none of that stuff really matters so where, where we where we put our security um where we find glory in the sense or significance is a really important thing to consider but david also says in verse three that um that to god it says you are the one who lifts my head high you're the one who brings me worth and value and confidence now i have no reason to be confident in anything but god um so it's that consideration of not putting our confidence disproportionate disproportionately in things that are fleeting things like jobs and health and wealth and all these type of things of course those things are going to be important to many of us and of course they're going to bring us a sense of uh, peace and contentment and joy but placing them in perspective is really important not not constantly thinking if i have that thing then i will be happy you know this is often something when i speak to people who are who are perhaps single if i find a relationship then i will be happier or at peace or if i have children i will be happier or at peace or if i get that job i will be happier or at peace and unfortunately that is, I mean, I'm not saying that that will not bring some joy and peace, of course it will, but it is putting peace, it is putting importance in something that is, that is not secure, that is, that, is, that is fleeting. And it's just, we can't sometimes stop ourselves from doing that, but it's just worth being aware of what we're doing when we're doing that. To be aware that those things may not, you know, ultimately bring us um, the joy and the contentment that we so desperately seek. And as I'm saying this now, I'm just thinking, I don't want to create a whole bunch of, well, where does that leave us? You know, so surely we, we are talking here about resilience and growing our mental health. And this is, a, I think, a much, much bigger topic um, than I can cover in this hour. Um, but um, yeah, I'll leave that there for the moment. The thing that brings David confidence here, um, if we look at verse four, where he says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. You know, David's, David is looking here at where does his confidence come from? He comes from the holy mountain, uh, which is a temple. There's a place of God's presence. You know, it's a place where sin is covered over and forgiven. Um, and this is what, what God can do for us. You know, this is who God is. This is what can give us confidence. You know, God looks at us from his holy mountain and he says, no, you're not perfect. Um, yes, you mess up sometimes, uh, but guess what? I forgive you. And in fact, I love you so much that I humbled myself to your level. I took all of your sin on me. I paid the price for you. I forgive you. You know, this is what gives us confidence. Um, we read in Hebrews 4, Verse 16, that's, um, uh, it says that uh, we can approach the throne, the throne of God, uh, the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We then see David taking the next step um in verse five and six where he says now i lie down and sleep it's almost like he gets to a place of calm i wake again because the lord sustains me 
I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. And David has placed his focus back on God. He knows that God is immovable. The foes are still coming. The source of his fear is still there. But David finds himself calm in the knowledge of the greatness and the glory and the significance of God. And then the next thing he does in, in, in verse 7, where he says, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. I find this fascinating where even though, even though he gets to this place of calm and contentment with God, he's still a little bit irrational. You know, it's, it's, it's not a very rational thing here to say, you know, um, break the jaws of the wicked. You know, we can look at that and say, you know, come on, David, that's not a very loving or forgiving thing to think, or that's not what Jesus would do, or it's not your place to have vengeance. Surely that's, that's God's place to make a decision about these things. But I think what this shows us is that just, just because David is coming to a place of, um, you know, considering uh, God, considering the glory of God, considering that, that God is his strength and his shield, it doesn't take away this feeling that he has in the moment. He wasn't feeling very forgiving in that moment, and he's able and willing to express that. Um, and he himself certainly wasn't blameless up to this point. You know, so if he's saying to God, smash the teeth of the wicked, he probably needs to protect his own face a little bit. But this, this brings us to another point, I think, that I find really important in considering our emotions um, and our feelings. It's, a, it's this concept of everything we feel is valid, even though everything we feel is not always rational. But just because something that we feel is not rational doesn't mean that it's not valid. And I want that to sink in a little bit, you know, because we can, we can often think to ourselves, I'm not supposed to feel this way. Or, you know, you've probably heard this in, in statements made in conversation or when someone is feeling overwhelmed or sad or, you know, we often, we often hear this when someone is crying. What is, that, what is a common response? Oh, no, don't cry. You know, this is this, this, this natural, almost inbuilt thing that we do where we where we want to deny what someone is feeling we want to deny what we are feeling ourselves but feelings are always rational oh sorry not always rational they're always valid even though not always rational we feel what we feel you know to to deny that is to say you know this is it is just if god created us to have emotions and feelings how how could we be judged for feeling them Feelings are involuntary. Most of the time, they're involuntary. If you're feeling angry, you're feeling angry. If you're feeling sad, you're feeling sad. If you're feeling discouraged, you're feeling that. If you're feeling hatred, you're feeling that. All the feelings that we feel are involuntary. But as I say, we have, we have been conditioned so often as adults to not feel. And we can be very quick to want to help other people as well to feel better you know when our friends are going through a hard time um i really believe that our role in supporting that person is not to make them feel better that's not that's not what we you know that, that's not our job um it is not you know i do not believe that it's our job 
to put a positive spin on things all the time. Or um, we often do this by trying to put things in perspective or to focus on the positive or, and this is one I personally find most of putting, you know, and just irritating sometimes is this offering of unsolicited advice. You know, someone is going through a hard time, so I'm going to tell you how to feel better because here's what I did in my life and I felt better. So when I tell you this, you're going to feel better as well. Now, advice from others can, of course, be very helpful, um, but we have to recognize that when someone is going through a tough time, unless they specifically ask us, advice is not always what they need. Um, and it may not be what we need when we are going through a hard time. It's often best just to try and find out what is it that that person needs or for you to be able to express what it is that you need when you're going through that time. Um, but in most cases, you know, what we desire from others when we go through a tough time, I really think it's just empathy. It is empathy and understanding. Just like we see the example of Jesus when he was with uh, the family of Lazarus after he died, Jesus was crying with them, even though rationally, logically, Jesus knew that, you know, death, in the biggest scheme of things, doesn't really matter. He was even going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he felt with them, he empathized with them. And I think that's really important for us in a, in a human connection perspective. As we learn from, from the Psalm here, from Psalm 3, we do not need to deny what we feel. You know, the feelings are valid, they can be valid, even though they're not always rational. And God certainly does not ask us to deny our emotions. Um, you know, David takes his feelings to God, and even though the situation feels unbearable, he trusts that God will not, you know, God will do the right thing, um, whether it makes sense to him or not. In verse 8, he says, from the Lord come deliverance, may your blessing be on your people. And we see David move on in faith. You now he's now reminded that deliverance doesn't come from himself. And this deliverance is, of course, not necessarily from the immediate situation, but deliverance from, you know, from a spiritual perspective, deliverance from sin. Um, just like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into that furnace and they said to, to the king, um, yeah, God will deliver us from this, but even if he does not, we want you to know that we will serve, we will not serve your gods or, or worship the image of gold you have set up. They say that even if he does not. And that's an important point, again, I think, to know that, as we spoke earlier about this concept of prosperity and God taking away um, difficulties in our life, that that is not necessarily how this works. And even if God doesn't deliver us, it doesn't take away our ability to feel a sense of peace and contentment with God. But we are facing... I mean, I'm just trying to think about making this a bit more practical. I suppose we are facing many things, many hardships. You know, many of us are facing incredibly tough situations. Uh, the scriptures tell us that we can go to God and say, here are my honest, true feelings right now. You know, we don't need to, um, we don't need to try and pretend that we're not feeling them. Um, our feelings are valid, as I said earlier. They are often not something we can control. Uh, we can't by sheer will not feel something. Um, and if we, we can acknowledge these things to ourselves and to God and to each other, we can acknowledge the true, honest 
emotions that we are going through, you know, and as a supporter of someone who's going through a difficult time, if we have any goal, let that goal be um, to help each other recognize the glory or the significance of God rather than trying to fix a situation. Um, and this is, as I say, this is, we just looked at one Psalm here, Psalm 3, but you can certainly look at many, many of the Psalms to, to get an idea of, um, of how, uh, how God uh, encourages us to deal with difficult emotions and difficult feelings. And we often refer to David when we, when we speak about this, but of course there are, there are many, other, um, many other characters in the Bible who also dealt with really difficult situations. And this is a, a, a consistent theme throughout that we will see is one of, one of acceptance, one of it's okay to feel this. And I want to link this very, very briefly to um, uh, a well-researched theory of, of personality. Um, one of those specific ones to look at is, so, so as I say, there, there are many, many of these theories, many of them overlap in many ways. Um, the one I want to briefly introduce to you today is from a guy called Carl Rogers. Um, he worked with Sigmund Freud, many of you will, would, have, would have heard about, and where Sigmund Freud was very much a, a psychodynamic um, psychologist, um, uh, and his theories are, are um, in that direction. Uh, Carl Rogers diverged slightly from that to a more humanistic perspective, um, and today the you know, that's a, it's a very well used theory and, and practice in the world of psychology and, and therapy. Um, now, I cannot do a justice in five or 10 minutes, but I'm going to do my best to, to look at this and to hopefully uh, give us some, some practical, uh, practical perspective to, to hold on to. So what I'm going to introduce is the, as I say, the theory of personality um, that that Carl Rogers proposed. So if we if we start with um, an organism, now in our case, this organism is is the human, you know, the human being, a person. Um, it, it can also apply to to other biological organisms, but in this case, we're going to speak about you know the the person. Then there are two forces that tends to tends to act on us on, on our beings the one is a force towards a self-concept and the other one is a force towards our organismic self um, the self-concept is uh, is developed through uh, what is termed conditions of worth now a condition of worth is something women say to ourselves uh, or often something that we hear or something that we experience growing up in terms of I am valuable if I'm a certain way, I am loved if I'm a certain way. Those conditions of worth then become introjected values where at first we begin by saying I am loved by the other if, it then becomes I love myself if or I am accepting of myself if I'm a certain way. And that then develops the self-concept. So the self-concept could be described as, this is a person who I think I am supposed to be in order to be acceptable to myself and to the rest of the world out there. Now, 
this self-concept of who we think we are supposed to be are very often, if not always, in conflict with the organismic self, which is a more, if we were to consider never having any conditions placed on us at all, which is impossible, but if we were to imagine that, what would emerge, what kind of person would emerge? It would probably be a very kind of raw, uh, primal type person. Now, we can't completely be that person because we are also living in a society and we, we value social interactions. But nevertheless, there's often a, an incongruence or a conflict or a denial or distortion of, uh, be, between these two things. Um, what we want to try and do is figure out, and just go through to the end here to save some time, is to figure out how do we merge this person who we think we are supposed to be with uh, some of our more true and organic or organismic feelings and experiences. And we kind of merge those two to, to reach what is called the fully functioning person. All of this is driven by what is termed the actualizing tendency, um, which is every living organism's drive to reach its full potential. And all of us have this. I believe this is kind of an inborn, ingrown thing that we have. This, uh, this strive, this striving to become fully functioning, the striving to become the best version of ourselves. And it's also very kind of, you know, I'm not going to go into all of the um, comparisons with, with scripture now, but the more I've studied this and the more I study the, the scriptures, the more I see so many similarities between what God wants for us and, and, and what this, this theory proposes. We are hoping that you know if we can if we can create an environment for ourselves where there's true empathy and unconditionality and and no judgment that we can lose some of these defenses we have in experiencing what we really feel and really experience and that that will aid this actualizing tendency and it will aid this this uh, morphing of these two aspects into the fully functioning person and the thing to consider. And I will, I, will, I will stop here. The thing to consider for ourselves is who is it that you believe you need to be? And then you can think about where, where might that be coming from and how accurate is that? Um, now, as I say, many of those conditions of worth are going to be valuable ones, ones we're going to want to keep. Um, because we want to live in a society, because we want to have fulfilling relationships with other people. So we're not going to reject all of our conditions of worth, but it is really valuable to know what they are, to know how we develop this person who we think we are supposed to be. As Christians, I think um, they, they, are, they, they can be added conditions that are not always godly but that we believe we need to be. For example, I'm not supposed to feel any anger or I'm not supposed to you know, be upset about things, whatever, I'm not supposed to be discouraged. And those are all kind of conditions of worth that we can develop, which are not necessarily accurate, which is not necessarily what, what God wants for us. So going through a process of figuring out what those things are, figuring out why you think you need to be the person you are supposed to be. How might these things be in conflict with a more true experience of what you actually feel?
Now, as I say, there's, there's no way I can do this justice in, in, a, in a few minutes. Um, but as a starting point, I think it could be really useful just to kind of consider why is it that you think you need to be this person? Where does that come from? And then be really honest and examine and say, does this really match? Does this really match with what I truly feel? Can I begin to accept some of these things that I feel that previously I've told myself I'm not supposed to feel them, I'm not supposed to experience them? And then going back to the concept of all feelings being valid, but not always rational, we don't have to act on all of these things that we feel. It's not a case of, I feel like I want to, I mean, think about my little boy. I feel like I want to beat my brother over the head with a, with a bat, so I'm going to do it. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about just acting on these things, but it's about recognizing, gosh, I feel this. I mean, isn't it amazing when you spend time with kids? You know, they can be, they can be so expressive about their feelings, can't they? You know, they can be, you know, a spoon dropped on the floor and it is just the end of the world. Or my brother got to the top of the stairs first before me and it is the absolute end of the world. Now, that disappointment because my tower of blocks fell over is very, very real for that child. Very quickly, that can then turn again into laughter and fun. But I think if we tell this poor child, you are not supposed to feel upset about your tower falling over, we are teaching them that you are not supposed to feel. He cannot help that he feels disappointed about the tower falling over or the spoon on the floor or my brother getting to the, to the top of the stairs first. He can't help what he feels in that moment. Um, if, we can, if we can acknowledge our own disappointment, anger, fear, whatever these we term negative emotions, if we can acknowledge them, um, we can then choose what to do with them. We can then decide, you know, what do we, you know, how do we, how do we act? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause there. Looking at the time is half past now. I wanna give some time for general discussion. Mm -hmm.